Today I spoke with Paul Patton about his experience starting a Christian theater and how that opened doors to new ministry. We also spoke a little bit about theatrical hermeneutics, talking about what it is, how we can practice it, and how a good theatrical hermeneutic can really enrich our understanding and reading of Scripture. This is Amplify. Hello and welcome to Amplify, the show where we listen to stories and engage in discussion with Christians from all walks of life. I'm your host, Austin Slater, and joining me today is Paul Patton. Paul has graduate degrees in counseling and religious education and a PhD in communication with an emphasis in the theater arts. He was the chair of the Department of Communication and Media at Spring Arbor University and taught courses in media, communications, and theater. Paul also served as a pastor until 1993, ministering in the Detroit area at Trinity Church until he founded Trinity House Theater in 1981 which is one of the first and now oldest Christian playhouses in North America still in operation. He's authored over 30 produced stage plays, radio plays, and performance essays. Paul, as always, it's a huge honor to spend time with you. So thank you for coming on the show. Great, great to be here, Austin. Blessings on you, buddy. Well, thank you. So you've been kind of involved in performance arts for quite some time now. How did yeah. you get pulled into this world? Well, what ha uh, that's a good, a good question, and I'm still trying to figure it out. Um, uh, in my 20s, I was part, as many people were part of a pop rock band, and uh, I, I, I wrote, you know, crazy songs and didn't realize that at the time I was an actor. I had some friends of mine from middle school who saw me again, you know, a few years later, and I was doing a solo act, and they said, look, we'd like to be in your band, and so... Um, and, and support you and uh, uh, accompany you. And so that was the first step because I realized, I didn't realize it at the time, but in retrospect, I realized I was an actor. I was the front man, you know, selling uh, crazy songs like we tangled at the taco place. And uh, <laughs> if I were Popeye, I'd tell olive oil to find her another guy. I'd give up on spinach and give to Brutus and leave without saying goodbye. Well, <laughs> uh, what had happened is I, 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 I saw uh, unification processes happen interpersonally, uh, uh, collectively, uh, because you had a, a common artistic objective, uh, a, a good show. Uh, and, and this was around the same time I started being a youth pastor at a church in Metro Detroit, Trinity Church, and um, wanted to develop some discipleship uh, um, processes for people I was working with. And, you know, the traditional discipleship process, Austin, involves typically, you know, we're going to have an accountability structure, group um, you're going to be accountable to one another, you're going to learn your memory verse, you're going to do the Bible study. Um, and the people, and you're going to make this commitment for a year. And the people that that most needed it dropped out after two or three weeks for a variety of reasons that I didn't figure it out at the time. The people that least needed it were the people that were able to follow through. So uh, I, I found that to be perplexing, uh, uh, frustrating, sometimes a bit discouraging as a pastor. So uh, one of the things, having been exposed to um, uh, the, the processes of artic, uh, artistic unification that come with opening nights and, and the necessity of rehearsal, just how people grow closer together in that. 
I had, uh, I, I must also say that a friend of mine, uh, Jan Christ and Henry Woodworth and Dan Reimer and a few of other, uh, a few of us had had an idea for a musical that Jan Christ, a wonderful pop folk writer, and I wrote, much better writer than I am, but it was a show called Gravity. And we premiered that in the late 1970s. And again, what I saw was a unification process as taking place as people had a common objective of an effective, uh, seriously compelling uh, opening night. And so uh, what happened uh, in the early 80s, uh, spring of 1981, I pitched to the church where I was, I was uh, a youth pastor. I pitched to the elder board. I said, why don't we start a theater? And I told them the reasons, um, and I, I talked about the importance of the theater processes, uh, being able to help unify people with a common objective. The elders said, sure, great, great. And I made sure I promised the elders of the church, listen, this isn't going to necess necessarily create more, more butts in the, in the pews. I'm not promising that it's going to be uh, effective and successful numerically. We're just, let's just try this as an experiment. Austin, we tried it. They said yes, uh, uniformly, the elders did. We opened up Trinity House Theater uh, in, the, in the fall of 1981. I had no formal theatrical training at the time. I just knew that I wanted to tell some stories and I wanted to work with some people. We had determined pretty quickly that uh, if you were going to direct a play if you, or if you were going to be on Trinity House's board, you had to be a, a Christian believer. But if you wanted to partake, partake in the plays, you didn't have to be a Christian. And so uh, what happened is the first several years where I was the artistic director and founding director, we had no auditions. Why? Uh, unlike people like you and, and your brother, for instance, who are wonderful actors, um, a lot of the people that I was working with in the beginning, and I was writing plays for them, you want to be in a play, I'll write you a part. We had no auditions. Why? Uh, uh, because it was going to be auditioning was going to be uh, too much of, an, uh, uh, of, a, of, a, of a crisis possibility for people who had not had the experience and whose, whose interpersonal confidences couldn't withstand um, the possibility of being cut from an audition, not making the play. I didn't want to thrust on somebody the, the, the pain, the pang of not making a show. So I had no auditions. I just mm -hmm. invited people to come and be involved in a play. And literally what I was hoping for happened. People were unified uh, like I'd never seen them before, energized like I'd never seen them before about the processes that led to a successful opening night. And right away, even though I wasn't able to articulate it as effectively as now, looking back 40 years, but uh, the unification uh, principle was, look at, we're not going to have uh, opening night as, as an idol. We're not going to sacrifice everything, including our interpersonal uh, uh, feelings and care, just so that we have an opening successful night. And I saw things that I was hoping for, unification, energy, uh, people energized, uh, and uh, people coming to Christ. Uh, as I mentioned uh, a few minutes ago, uh, we didn't require uh, that you, you be a Christian uh, to be involved. And so, but we unapologetically said, you'll hear 
us pray. You can ask questions, but we're involved in a process that wants to be honoring to God. And so several people that were involved uh, in the opening years uh, came to Christ. Some of our best um, uh, estheticians, some of our best uh, leaders would later uh, come to Christ. And uh, so that was, that was wonderful. Uh, and so um, that's what got me started. I had, again, no training. I had no, no training in terms of what it meant to, to call Jesus Lord of the Arts, uh, Lord of uh, the 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 non-traditional uh, categories of sacred concern uh, and the arts, politics, economics, business. Uh, those are some other categories. But I was just starting to learn about what it meant to call Jesus Lord of all areas, including the arts. Hmm. And so one of the things that, you know, we've talked about a lot and that you've got a passion for is theatrical hermeneutics. Yeah, yeah. What can you explain what that even is? Well, what happened is well, first off, um, hermeneutics is uh, the science of interpreting uh, a, a text, generally ancient texts, and, and obviously including the Bible. That's hermeneutics. Theatrical hermeneutics is uh, something that uh, heavily influenced by my theater instructor at Regent University in the '90s, wanting to wanting to ask. Um, in the process of interpreting the Bible, oftentimes what happens is we forget about the rules of oral interpretation, the rules of theatrical interpretation of a text. And so theatrical hermeneutics includes those principles of oral interpretation, of, of theatricality, of drama, are, are added to uh, principles of, of hermeneutics. So for, so for instance, um, Jesus in John 20 uh, is not recognized by Mary Magdalene as, uh, as she thinks he's the gardener, okay? And in that text in John 20, there's no pauses, there's no parentheticals, and we know of a parenthetical in the theater in a contemporary play, for instance, it would be, how is this line said? What are the emotional uh, uh, envelopings that help the actor understand what is at stake and help the audience understand what's emotionally, dramatically at stake? So here you have, just to give you an example of a theatrical hermeneutic principle, uh, Mary Magdalene um, is asked by somebody that she assumes is the gardener, why are you crying? Who are you looking for? She turns, not recognizing that it's her savior, Jesus uh, of Nazareth, and uh, she says, uh, thinking he's the gardener, if, you, if you've taken the, my Lord's body, show me where it is so that I can go and get it. And obviously she wanted to, uh, 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 to honor it and dress it and put uh, the ointments. Uh, but she's assuming that the, that the gardener is going to tell her where Jesus's body is. And then Jesus says one word. It's her name. It's a very interesting question for groups to decide, how does Jesus say Mary's name? And to make the decision, if you're, if you're doing an interpretive reading, if you're reading to yourself within uh, the privacy of your own home and your, and your devotions, you can make that decision too, but it's also a significant decision when you're making a public reading of scripture. How does Jesus say Mary's name? 
Does he say it, Mary, condescend, Mary, come on, you should have been able to recognize me. Or does he, how does he say it? Uh, and uh, there's probably a variety of faithful uh, interpretations, but we have to make decisions in light of the context. How does Jesus say Mary's name? And I think, you know, it's not, not a big stretch to con conclude that he probably said it lovingly, convincingly, um, strikingly, memorably, because she screams, she screams Rabboni, when she, if you can imagine the shock of that, you know, recognizing somebody that she thought was the gardener is the risen Jesus of Nazareth, her rabbi, her rabbi of rabbis. Oftentimes when we read that text in John 20, uh, if we're reading it silently for our devotional purposes at home, we, we don't do the work of theatrical hermeneutic and saying, okay, how is it that she said this? Let's bring the reality of the dramatic principle to life to, to explode this scene redemptively. That's what theatrical hermeneutics is. And I have example after example that if we're not alert and cognizant of the principles of theatrical hermeneutics, sometimes what we can do is just run over in a neutral way without the emotional enveloping and enlivening of the text. Mm. So what are, sense? oh, that makes perfect sense. So then what would some of those questions be that we should ask ourselves as we're reading through the text? Um, obviously, you know, you've done a lot of theater, yeah. you know, you know what these questions that you might ask are, what yeah. would someone who's less familiar with that, what should someone ask when they're reading these scriptures? Are there, are, is there a possibility of a dramatic pause here? Uh, what's the volume level? Is it whispered? Is it shouted? Is it screamed? Um, is, it, is it said sarcastically, like the prophets, not unlike Saturday Night Live hosts and players in a contemporary setting? The prophets knew how to mock hypocrisy, knew how to mock the culture in its uh, double standards, um, knew how to mock the ugliness of presumption. Uh, when the Bible says uh, uh, that, uh, for instance, Joshua ex exclaimed, Moses, my Lord, make Eldad and Medad stop prophesying because no one saw you lay, you know, you didn't lay your hands on them and yet they're still prophesying. That's right out of numbers. Um, knowing that, uh, that when Joshua is described as, ex in the English translation, the NIV, is exclaiming, Moses, my Lord, make Eldad and Medad stop, put some intensity in that. He's frightened. Um, when you know that a person is saying something uh, out of fear, give them that fearful voice. Uh, give them the pauses, give them the shock, and it will bring the scriptures to life. No question. Mm -hmm. Are there any specific scriptures that you have found to be far more potent than you expected by practicing yeah. this? Let me, yeah, a great question. Let me give you a few. Uh, that one from uh, that I just described is from Numbers 11. Um, it, it, the, the text is... Um, that uh, Moses had had all of the, the, the elders standing in a circle around the tabernacle. 
And again, think about this. Whenever we talk about Moses and the Exodus, it's about 1400 BC, okay? Um, so 3,400 years ago, this happened. Moses had the, the uh, he was talking to the Lord into the tabernacle. He had the elders uh, surrounding the, the holy tent, shall we say. And um, uh, he took, then the spirit, he came out of the tabernacle uh, and the spirit came to him in a cloud. He took of the cloud and placed it on the elders. And the scripture says in Numbers chapter 11, that all of the elders began to prophesy. Then it says, meanwhile, meanwhile, interesting word. Meanwhile, two men, Eldad and Medad were also listed as uh, as elders, but they were not with Moses at the tent of meeting, at the tabernacle. And at the same time, they also started prophesying. And we're not sure what that meant. Probably, you know, certainly preaching truths that were compelling. But if you can imagine doing the same thing, prophesying at the same thing, uh, the only difference was that, that Eldad and Medad, because they weren't around Moses, they didn't have Moses lay his hands on them. So a young man sees Eldad and Medad in the camp, not at the tabernacle, prophesying. He runs to Moses, thinking that this is going to be threatening to Moses. This is going to hinder his credibility, because the, the major source of, of Moses's credibility was that he laid his hands on him, and the Spirit prompted the, el the other elders, the other 70 elders, to, to prophesy. So the young man runs to Moses, and he says, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. I mean, it doesn't say he's saying it threateningly, alarmingly. And then Joshua, son of Nun, who had been Moses' aide de camp since youth, exclaimed, Moses, my Lord, make them stop. Okay. The next, the next sentence is Moses gives an answer. But I say, look it. In the practice of theatrical hermeneutics, uh, practice pretending that you're the director of the film or of the play, how are you going to have Moses responding to Joshua's exclamation? I have Moses sitting down. It's not in the text, but I have him sitting down. And he's looking at the ground. You know, again, this is after Joshua saying, the young Joshua, Moses, my Lord, make, make Eldad and Medad stop prophesying because it didn't come from you. I have Moses sitting down, maybe on a, on a log, or a stump uh, in the cool of the breeze. And he's looking down and then he looks up at Joshua and he smiles. He said, do you think I'm, are you being jealous for my sake? And again, remember that the word jealousy means the fear of being replaced. It's not synonymous with envy. Envy is wanting what somebody else has. Jealousy is the fear of being replaced. Uh, Moses says calmly, are, are you jealous for my sake? You know, he appreciates his loyalty. Moses pre appreciated Joshua's loyalty, and this was a manifestation of loyalty. But are you jealous for my sake, he says. And he looks at, and then he looks down again, and he says, I wish that all God's people were prophets. And he would place his spirit on everybody. <laughs> this isn't about me. Uh, see, this is how theatrical hermeneutics can help us understand a particular passage. You have to make decisions about how things were said when, when you can make a decision based upon the context. Uh, it just brings it to life. Mm -hmm.
that's an example of that. Let me give you one more. Uh, Isaiah 66. And again, remember that Isaiah ministered over 40 years. A lot of them would we would describe as, as ministerial failures, okay? But he persisted. Um, uh, the last chapter of Isaiah, uh, which would have probably been written, you know, in the, in the beginnings of the 7th century B.C., but it says, heaven is my throne. The earth is my footstool. What kind of house are you going to build for me? Where will my resting place be? Okay. Those, those are examples of theatrical hermeneutics. Uh, here's, here's the prophet Isaiah mocking the presumption of Israel. We've got God um, tied up in our house. We're going to get him a lazy boy. No, uh, no, 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 no. As Solomon said, when he dedicated the temple, the, 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 the heavens declare thy handiwork. The heavens can't contain God, let alone this house. What kind of house are you going to build for me? Where will my resting place be? See, you, 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 uh, you read it that way, you understand that God, through his prophet Isaiah, is being redemptively satirical. Mm. Um, and if you just read it straight, you know, uh, where am I? It's, 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 it's as if God is, is, is upset because he doesn't have a house to rest in, as if he needs a house. Right. Um, so that, that, that's, the examples are throughout the scripture. Those are a few. Absolutely. And those, that's really, you know, it adds the depth and it adds personality. No question. And relation. No question. Absolutely. And you're just asking the reader, the public reader of scripture in the, in, in the sanctuary during the church service. And yet also the, the, the private reader of scripture, bring the scriptures to life. You're having Absolutely. to make decisions about how things were said, say them in light of, of your interpretation. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, I can obviously speak from experience when I say it's incredibly effective. I remember it was actually my very first class in college, my very first day of college. You came in to Mary Darling's Intro to Communications course, and you gave a, you know, a, a, a recitation of yeah. um, the story of Jesus and the demoniac. Yeah, exactly. And I remember... In fact, from, by the way, I'm going to be doing that same sermon uh, uh, this Halloween in chapel at Spring oh, Arbor. Wonderful. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good one. Well, and I remember oh, from fun. that moment, that was one of the moments when, you know, I realized in the context, in light of the emotional setting, the power of Jesus. Yeah, exactly. Um, he was the terrorizer of the terrorizers, of human terrorizers. Join me next time as I continue my conversation with Paul. Our discussion will center around the spiritual practice of memorization, or as Paul calls it, stewarding the stirrings of the soul. Thank you for listening to Amplify, and we really hope to see you again soon. If you enjoy Amplify and want to hear more, uh, please give us a like or a subscribe. Um, that really helps us go a long way in making sure these episodes are able to keep getting aired and people keep getting able to be reached. If you know someone who you think you'd like to have on the show, please go ahead and shoot me an email at aslater at friendshipcrc.org and we'll try and see if we can fit them in. Amplify is a ministry of Friendship Christian Reformed Church in Byron Center, Michigan. 
To support our podcast and help further amplify the stories of people in ministry, go to friendshipcrc.org, select Give Online in the Get Connected bubble, and then select Give to Missions and Outreach.